School districts across Oklahoma are in the process of developing plans for starting the new school year while coronavirus infections continue to grow. In March, the State Board of Education mandated the closure of school buildings when the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases was at 10. But there is currently no indication that the board is considering another closure mandate despite the fact that daily new cases have now surpassed 1,000. Districts are offering parents virtual options, considering mask mandates, and exploring other significant measures to impose social distancing in schools. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister about the upcoming school year, what she believes schools should be doing, and how effective can education be with a continued focus on distance learning. Earlier this week, I interviewed Superintendent Hoffmeister for a story on what school leaders are thinking as a new school year comes amid the coronavirus pandemic. You can find that story at readfrontier.org. But here is that entire interview, which was recorded on Monday, July 13th. Hey, Ben. Hey, Superintendent. How are you? I'm doing well. I know you're busy, so I guess I'll just jump right in if that works for you. Um, yes. So, I mean, first off, obviously, the, the big question is, you know, reopening schools next month and this fall. How confident are you that schools are going to be able to do that this year? Well, I do expect that our schools will move forward with their plans to reopen school. I do also think that they have multiple plans. And where we see a high concentration of community spread in particular counties, uh, then they may begin with plan B instead of their first plan. So that remains to be seen. And we are, a, you know, four weeks um, out. A lot can change in that time. And from the beginning, we've said we've got to stay flexible, but now is the time to plan and think through as many different scenarios as we can. And so I'm seeing that from districts, and, and I think that's that's very, very important. We've got to be flexible from day one forward. I could ask you about any number of challenges that districts face, and, you know, I've, I've read through the the you know, 74 pages plus uh, doc, document of guidance that you guys have put out. So obviously there's a, there's a lot of things to consider, but I want to ask you specifically about teachers. I mean, I know okay. after schools closed last year and there was, you know, headed into the summer, you know, there are various surveys that showed that many teachers were concerned about returning or weren't sure if they were. And I think that's sometimes that's common at the end of the year. I think teachers sometimes are, are thinking about maybe retirement a little bit more than other times of the year. But a lot of those surveys have kind of continued to show that. And there's been a lot of reporting over the last week that teachers are concerned. From, from a pure just like educator infrastructure, I mean, are schools going to have the teachers to to, to pull off uh, not just in-person instruction, but, but even virtual education? Well, this is a very serious time. And I 100% understand the concern that teachers have, not just for their own health and well-being, they're concerned about their students, but they're also thinking about their own families. And it's a, it's a very um, responsible thought process to think about 
how will they take care of their own family and um, what provisions are going to be in place which will help them to know if this is something they can do for the next school year or not. Um, this is, I think, a very common conversation. I have my own family members that will be heading into the start of school as well, and I, I understand what that is, um, the burden of that, that question. So we have a responsibility at the state level and certainly at district levels to think about protecting students and staff, all of those who serve in schools. And without a very comprehensive, robust layering of safeguards that, for me, I believe it needs to include wearing masks for everyone because that's how you actually get the benefit um, that masks provide. Um, then we will be able to move in and have a, I believe, successful start. The key will be, will people keep wearing them? Will we stay vigilant and follow protocol? Um, that is going to be, I think, the big question on whether or not we're able to maintain our schools and, and in-person visits. Um, we can look at other countries, and we are. Uh, my peers in other states and myself are on um, multiple calls each week, and we are studying the evidence and the research from other countries, what worked, what didn't, and the trend lines of um, transmission and um, positive cases within their communities. Um, it can be done, but it starts with those basic bedrock safeguards. So for me, that's the starting point, and we can't really even have a conversation about keeping people safe until we're willing to commit to these very basic fundamental principles of layering safeguards, including wearing masks. You know, it was, it was your recommendation in March that the board voted on to uh, to, to mandate the closure of, of, of school buildings and, and then eventually to pivot to a distance learning uh, strategy. How much thought have you given to a, a, a similar mandate being necessary before the school year starts or during the school year th starts? Or is that something that you feel like is not going to be part of your strategy? Well, no, it is certainly part of the strategy. At the beginning, in the spring, we were dealing with a novel coronavirus. We still are. But it was so new, um, and we've had much more data and scientific uh, literature uh, about how it transmits. And we're able to respond to that. But, you know, we weren't afraid to do what was needed to protect our students and our staff in the spring. And I'm not afraid to, to do what's needed now. Uh, but it has to be something that correlates and responds to the current data and the current information. Uh, so this is part of why I think it is so very important that Oklahomans in general recognize the role they can play in helping lower transmission now in the summer to set the stage for the ability to reopen. We all want to reopen schools. We all recognize this is the best for students, particularly those who are in homes where there is um, not either connectivity or there is um, a less safe environment. 
We know that we have students who count on um, their child nutrition at, at school, as well as mental health supports, um, a variety of social services, and just overall, in general, um, the the social emotional growth and development of being with peers and um, being in a a school setting is positive, um, but it has to, of course, come with those safeguards. So we we are looking at all of this as a strategy where one action builds upon another, and there are certain things we're not going to be able to do if we see a a, a surge in positive cases. We're going to have to respond to those. So you wouldn't rule out a, another recommendation for uh, statewide closures of buildings like we saw in March? Well, our goal is to prevent that. Okay. And, and, and our hope is we won't have to do that, but I couldn't ever say that we would take any safeguard or necessary precaution off the table. Yeah, and of course, and I don't know that it's fair to ask you about a month from now. The thing changes so quickly. But, but as, right. of, as of right now, yeah. I mean, head, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the next state board meeting is next week. I mean, so headed into that, I mean, that's not part of the, strat- the plan right now. You're, you're still comfortable with, with districts coming up with their own, their own strategies. Well, we provided a framework of strategies that, that, you know, I appreciate you spent a lot of time reading and going through um, to walk through those steps for them. Um, then we expect them to implement that. Um, if we don't see that, then that is cause for a, a much more centralized approach. But I don't think that is ideal. It's ideal to be able to allow our school districts to respond with their public health officials county by county. Um, and, and that's our hope, but we are also aware that we've got to all be in constant communication with state public health officials, um, others who are trusted health, um, public health officials um, within our you know, state and nation. And, and we're, we are always day by day looking at the data and we will make a decision that's informed and science driven. And it'll be about safety first. Learning is secondary when it comes to life and death and, and a global pandemic. Yeah. Do you worry, though, that districts are facing, I mean, beyond the pressure to look at that scientific data, I mean, are also facing, you know, political pressures right now. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, been widely reported over the last week. The the president, education secretary, DeVos, there's a lot of pressure on schools to reopen. And, um, you know, just talking with several districts across the state, I think they're feeling that pressure. Uh, You know, they're wanting to be, you know, you know, put safety first, and I think are committed to doing that but are also, you know, feeling this kind of political pressure. Do you worry that that complicates this process for districts? I think it actually has sent a little bit of a confusing message because um, much of the CARES Act funds were designed for um, online virtual instruction or a hybrid approach where there would be some in-class and some online. And then, of course, the traditional model of being in school. And that is how some students are going to need to receive their education. So for me, I try to block that out and insulate our schools as much as possible from other things, other factors that really aren't going to impact their 
daily work. And we are going to continue to throw, you know, our, our shoulder into it and push forward as, as hard as we can to get that connectivity in place um, and make the kinds of investments that keep for a more um, smooth delivery of education. And, and that is, you know, the benefit we have now that we didn't have in the early spring. Um, we've had time now to um, offer up resources. Of course, we have not in any way reached the level of connectivity so that that is equitable across the state. But we're not giving up on that. And we're going to continue to work to make that happen because it it is I think part of the digital age and the future of education and learning options. But in this scenario, um, different communities are going to find themselves in unexpected quarantine and they're going to need to be able to pivot. And we want them to be ready to be able to do that. You know, uh, your, your department, I mean, you, you guys asked districts to or require districts to submit their distance learning plans uh, at the end of last school year to, to get approval for that. Um, sh- should that be required again going into the new school year? Most districts are putting at least some kind of distance learning option on the table for families, even if they're going to open with in-person instruction. Um, do you worry about yes, the equity the issue? Yes. Okay, so are you, are, is that something you yeah, guys are going to require? Yeah, it is, and we're, I am, yes, we are. We want to see their plan for this year. Um, and we we believe that that's where we can then give further support uh, and also um, see those schools that are doing things that work really well and learn from those plans as we also, um, you know, l- try to learn from what we're doing um, month by month. And, and districts are always eager to learn from one another. Uh, but we feel like this is an important part. It's an assurance that there there are plans in place and that um, we are able to address any gaps that we see. Okay. And so I just want to make sure I'm reporting this for accurately. So you you do intend to require districts to submit their distance learning plans for the new school year? That's my intention, okay. yes. Okay. In uh, upcoming um, board meetings. Okay. You know, obviously a, a big part of the guidance to districts is suggesting, you know, social distancing, you know, desk six feet apart, you know, no large gatherings. Uh, I mean, crowded classrooms have been such a, a common theme, you know, for years in this state. Mm-hmm. How are schools going to pull this off? And what are you hearing from schools about options that they have for, you know, separating desks? I mean, I know my own son's classroom. I don't know that they could have separated them. You know, they were right on top of each other. And that was just what the, the reality was in, in the classroom. What are you hearing from districts on how they plan to, to, to tackle that? Well, I think that they are looking at what is possible. So where it is impossible for a variety of reasons, either um, the, the size of their building, the, you know, um, the grades that they are working with that um, might be older students all packed together, that, that is um, a, a concern. And so you, you have to follow what CDC says, which is you layer safeguards. So if you cannot socially you know, provide that social distance, then you have to have additional safeguards that overcome what you would have gained by that protection. And that it uh, continue to layer is the key. 
Um, this is for me why everyone needs to be wearing masks. That's the bedrock of safeguards when it comes to slowing or halting community transmission. And what we, what we want to do is ask districts, make every effort, be creative, find ways. That might be a change in your schedule. It may be a change in location for where a particular class that was overcrowded and where that happens all over your district. Then, then we are seeing districts talk about um, more of an alternate schedule where students are doing um, online for a portion of the week and doing, you know, in person uh, another part of the week. I don't think that's ideal by any means. But again, we're not talking about what is ideal. We're talking about how can we keep learning going, but do that in a way where we know we have provided the greatest level of protection. And if it's impossible to do that, and we have a great um, surge in community transmission, then it's going to have to all be online. Um, this We don't want to make that kind of decision for everyone where they can still have in-person instruction, but where there is a need to um, be extra cautious because of a large flare-up in a community, you have to respond to that data. And so this is why I think districts are wanting to put their guidance out a little closer to time, only because they know that the information we had in June or even the start of July is just different than what it's going to look like in the middle of August or even in the middle of October. Um, this idea of being flexible and being ready to pivot is something we're going to have to grow more accustomed to. But what I know right now, anytime we're in a crisis, people need specificity and they want details. So teachers need it. They deserve it. We owe it to our families to be able to give them assurances and information as soon as possible. Um, it is just, and in some ways, impossible to give that kind of certainty. But what we can give and what I am seeing districts um, thoughtfully uh, provide is input from families and teachers and then um, many options and they describe what their first option is. And then um, they're planning to revisit those. I, I've heard from one very large district that is revisiting what they've already published uh, to make a determination if that is still the plan going forward. And I think you will see more of that as these are unveiled um, with you know future shifts. Uh, so from my standpoint, we have to have minimum safeguards in place, and some people may not want to do that, but we have to do that. There are already regulations in schools um, where even wearing a uniform is required. Um, those, you can't just walk in any door, even though it is a public building. There, there are access points that you know, also require submitting your driver's license, running through that little background check machine that you know, offers a, a name tag if you're approved. Um, that's all for 
the protection of students and those who serve in schools. And this is going to be a time where we're going to have additional layers. School is going to be different. It is going to look different. Um, it is going to feel different. And I think it's hard right now to imagine that for those who are still thinking about what school was like on March the 12th, the last time they were there in person. for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. You can find every episode on the Listen Frontier podcast feed. You can also subscribe to get each week's episode as it drops. For the Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.